Good evening. How are we? Oh, that's very loud, isn't it? Can be done. If, if it comes down a little bit, then when I get excited, I won't deafen everybody. How, how good was your Christmas? It was, I mean, was it good? All right. Okay, out of 10. Was that funny? All right, okay. Don't answer that then. So I, I've got into a rhythm of grading Christmas uh, by how many times I see a Star Wars film. Uh, so this Christmas was four out of five uh, because I, I wanted to see it five times but only saw Star Wars four times. Um, but Becky's promised me in the next seven days I might be able to slip off and see it for a fifth time and then Christmas would be five out of five. It's, that, would be, um, that would be for me. If you're not a Star Wars fan, I hope you saw some other nice films. But for me, that was the highlight. Uh, we start a new series next week at All Hallows uh, called Transformed. And Raph has been working on it uh, since September. And he's going to do most of the teaching from it, pulling in a few different people. Uh, so we thought we'd do something a little bit different this evening and just do a bit of a Bible study uh, look at what the Bible has to say, try and learn something from the Bible. And so I want to ask you this question kind of as we start, how does God speak to you? How does God speak to you? God wants to communicate with each of us, doesn't he? And each, God has a different way of communicating. Uh, and because for so many of us, we, because of the way that we, our Western minds work, very often we think in terms of facts, uh, so we, we, we want God to communicate to us in, in facts and figures. Uh, but actually, when we read the Bible, God speaks through riddles, through pictures, through words, through confusing things, uh, things that don't always add up. Uh, so what I want to just explore a little bit tonight is how does God speak to us? I want to give us a, a little picture into one of the ways that God could speak to us. It's not the way. Uh, to say is the way would... Uh, rule out the way that God might speak to you. But this is, this is one of the ways that God speaks to me. And I, I want us to kind of just explore it and see what you think. We've got a couple of just testimonies of how we've seen this uh, connecting up for us. Uh, and uh, it might work for you. You might go, oh, that was a load of rubbish. But that's okay, because we've got Raph next week. So he can rectify. Um, let's pray. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Scripture. Lord, we thank you that you spoke to people they wrote down, and then we have been handed those texts on, and now we get to look at them uh, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years after their birth, and yet you have something fresh and new to say to us through them. So Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that spoke, would you speak to us, we pray. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. I'd, I'd love to invite you to take out a Bible. Uh, we are going to do some flicking. If you are not a fast Bible flicker, then you might want to use your iPhone or your device that's got a um, Bible on it, because I know it's easier to flick through those. If you would rather just listen, that is fine, but sometimes it's just really important to check that whatever the preacher is saying is actually coming from the Bible. I, you don't want, it's very easy for somebody to say it's from the Bible, but actually not be found in the Bible. It's a, it's a mistranslation or something. So I want you to, you know, I want you to be checking uh, what we're looking at this evening. Uh, so we're going to start with, uh, the, we're going to go through the Gospels, uh, and we're going to look at the book of Acts very quickly, a different passage from each. So if you want to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, it's the first book of the New Testament. Yes? 
yeah, there should be loads of Bibles under the seats. And somebody's stolen all of our Bibles. The Bible's gone walkies. Who has got a Bible? There we go. We do have Bibles taken. That's a, that's a good problem to have. But it's, it's nice when you can find them as well, isn't it? Great. So Matthew. And we're going to read. Uh, these are quick fire. Uh, and very quickly, hopefully, you'll get your head around. If you are sat next to somebody that maybe needs help just finding Matthew, just chuck them a page number. And that would be, that'd be really handy. So we're going to read from Matthew uh, 15. Matthew 15. I should have said that. Matthew 15. You could have. Yeah, Matthew 15. Matthew uh, 15. We're going to go from verse 32, 32, Matthew 15, 32. Oh, there we go. One, two, three, four. Very Anglican. Here is the first reading. Okay, uh, Matthew 15, 32. And then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. Uh, they have already been with me, what did he say? Three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want them to go away hungry, uh, or they may collapse on the way. Following this event, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Now we're going to jump to Mark. Matthew, Mark, chapter 8, verse 2. Okay, Mark 8, 2. I have compassion on these people. They have already been with me, what's it say? Three days and have had nothing to eat. We're now going to flip to Luke. Luke 1, 58. We've got about 15 of these. So it'll, it'll, we'll stick with Luke for a while. So Luke chapter 1, verse 58. And by the way, after that occurrence, Jesus feeds 4,000 people. So Luke 1. 56, Luke 1, 56. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Following this, we have a miraculous birth. We're going to skip through to Luke chapter 13, number of pages to the right. Luke 13, verse 7. Luke 13, verse 7. So Jesus said to the man who took care of his vineyard for, what's it say? Three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Uh, why should it be taking up the soil? And the next story following this, so the, the man in the story is told, no, let's leave it another year. It's been there three years. And the following story is then of a woman who is healed. Um, so it's almost like the tree has bailed no fruit for three years, and then, well, let's leave it a while longer after three, and then there's a woman that is healed directly. So the fruit, it's all about who Jesus is. So after the number three, then you see the fruit of Jesus, and there is a healing. So we'll then skip to Luke 13, uh, 21. That's an easy skip, isn't it? No pages turn. Uh, it is like the yeast that woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Does anybody have anything different there? Yeah, so some translations have a little A 
and you see at the bottom, it'll say three satyrs of flour. Some will chuck that in anyway. But here you have a woman who's got yeast. She mixes it into three satyrs of flour and the kingdom of God, this is the description, the kingdom of God is like a woman who mixes a yeast uh, into the flour and then suddenly the yeast explodes. It grows and grows and grows. So after the three, we then have this miracle of the kingdom. Uh, John chapter uh, two, let's skip there. John chapter two, and we're going to go from verse one. It's a real uh, kind of famous uh, story, one of Jesus's. Uh, John sets this up as one of the first miracles of seven signs that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the first sign, and it says this. So John chapter two, verse one. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and this is where Jesus then takes uh, the water and turns it into the wine. Are we seeing a link so far? Are we seeing a link? We're catching? Okay, we're getting, there's a link between this. Okay, so John chapter 6, verse 19. John 6, verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. When Jesus had walked these three or four miles, there's this miracle where they realize Jesus is walking on water. So following three miles, you then have Jesus walking on water in the miracle. What about, let's flick to John chapter 21, verse 14. Uh, John chapter 21, verse 14. So I flick to the right, a few more. Got it? This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he'd been raised from the dead. And following this being the third time that Jesus has appeared to the disciples, Jesus sits with Peter and on three occasions now reinstates Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? So this is the third time that Jesus appeared to them. And then for three times, Jesus speaks to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And reinstates, does this miracle of reinstating Peter uh, back into his movement. Well, uh, can we flick to Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 41? So I'm just picking a few out of the, the Gospels. Uh, Acts 2, chapter 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Correct. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It was this miraculous conversion of 3,000 people. Uh, Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 1. So skip over another chapter. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It was... Three in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon, and they take this paralyzed man and they practice resurrection on him and he goes from being lame to being able to walk. In fact, he jumps with joy. Uh, a bit of an odd one, uh, Acts 5, 7. Acts 5, 7. So uh, Ananias has said he's going to give all of his money to God's mission and ministry and lies about it. Having lied about it, he's caught out lying, and he falls down dead. And then, in verse Acts 5-7, about three hours later, his wife came in, and not knowing what had happened, she then goes on and lies, and she drops dead as well. The, the miracle is actually the, is about the cleansing of the church. 
God not allowing, I don't want lying happening in my new Jesus community. I could tell you, I can explain more about that to you at some other time if you want. Acts 9.9, this is a fun one. Acts 9.9, couple more to the right. For the next three days, Paul was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And then after being blind for three days, uh, there's a miracle and Paul gets his eyesight back. What about Acts chapter 10, verse 3? If you skip just a couple more to the right. And if you think you've ever, I'll tell you in a minute. Don't worry. Uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 3. One day at about three in the afternoon, Peter has a vision. And uh, he, he said he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him. And he ends up giving him this vision. Until this point, the Jewish people weren't allowed to eat sausages and bacon. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, there's a vision. The vision occurs three times. And it's God saying to uh, Peter, what I have made holy is holy. Bacon is back on the table. So the miracle is that we are allowed to eat sausage and bacon. Okay, That is the, the miracle. You've got to see it from a, a, a Jewish world where they have not been allowed to touch something for all this time. And now suddenly you are. So the miracles are allowed to eat this food. And then Acts chapter 10, verse 16. So just a couple of verses on. Oh, have we done that one? Yes, this happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. So that's the miracle. Then the final one we're going to look at is Acts 20, verse 9. Acts 20, verse 9. And this really is my favorite. If you've ever sat through a really long sermon, uh, be warned. Okay, just be warned. So Acts chapter 20, verse 9. Seated in a window was a young man who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story. He hits the floor dead, but he's fallen from the third story. So what are you looking for? We're looking for a miracle, aren't we? Like the number three has appeared again. And the miracle is Paul goes down, he lays flat on the boy, and the boy comes back to life. The Bible, the New Testament, is just sprinkled with these nudge, nudge, wink, winks that are just right under the surface that when we take a single story in itself, it just looks like a time scale or a time frame or a, a, a number is being given. But as a, as a Westerner reading the Bible, we see numbers and we see uh, three, three Ps or we see a time scale. If you're an Eastern reader of this book, whenever you see the, three, the, the number three or the word three, you don't see a number because uh, Easterners uh, don't work in the same way that, that, that we will. We've been trained through Greek thinking and through maths. So we go one, two, three, four, five. Uh, but let me just test this with you. If I say I watched Superman on the train last night, what comes to mind? A man in, in blue with little tight pants and a cape who can fly. There's an image that appears in your mind when the word Superman is, is shared. So if I said to you, uh, Wonder Woman, you would have a picture in your mind of that, that character. The same happens in the Jewish world uh, when they use numbers and they use certain pictures. So just a little uh, example. 
whenever the word garden appears in the scriptures, a Jewish reader is naturally taken back to the fact that creation happened in a garden, that God walked in the cool of a day in the garden, uh, sin entered the world through the garden, Jesus died and was buried in the garden, he was resurrected in the gardener, and the first person that saw him thought he was a gardener. And in the end of the scriptures, in Revelation, we're told that there is a new garden and there's a new tree. The overarching story uh, from a Jewish reader reading the, the Christian Bible would say, well, the whole thing's about a garden. It's about a garden. It's about God in relationship with people. Uh, it, it's all garden language. Let me give you just another example. Uh, right from the, the beginning, uh, the wedding image is littered throughout the Bible. So at Genesis chapter 19, when the Ten Commandments are given, the Ten Commandments are never called commands in the original version, and they are laid out in the Hebrew Bible, like what's called a Jewish ketubah, which is a wedding certificate. The whole language of the Exodus story is a wedding, uh, is all wedding language. The first miracle that you have that Jesus turns water into wine is at a, a, a wedding, at the end, we're told that uh, Jesus is coming back as the groom for the bride, and there's this banquet at the end. The overarching story of God is a story of a God who's wanting to marry his people. So a Jewish reader sees these things through a very different picture framework. And what we do, we see a number. When, when a Jew hears the number three in a story, they're not thinking one, two, three. Uh, there's code littered into the picture. Uh, so... Um, the eastern eye is looking for symbols, and they're looking for keys to unlock a story. Uh, a western reader, uh, we're looking for figures and facts. So uh, the most, one of the most asked questions uh, I often get on things like Alpha Course is things like, did Noah really exist? Did Noah really exist? Because we want to know, did these things happen historically the way that the Bible says? So, and and I, I'm totally up for that. Okay? I'm not saying this isn't historically correct. It, it is historically correct. But I don't think the book is actually inviting us to look at these stories as historical events at the same time. They're metaphors, they're pictures. God is wanting to, to say things to us, nudge, nudge, wink, winks, all the way through. So friends, when you see the number three in the New Testament, it is a nudge, nudge, wink, wink of what? The what? A miracle, the, resurre the ultimate miracle of the resurrection. Each of these stories are nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You're about to see something go from death to life. You're about to see something impossible about to happen. So the number three is littered throughout the New Testament as a don't miss what is about to happen. So whenever you're reading the New Testament, watch for the number three because the number three is a code word. It's a symbol that is written into the text to say, watch, something incredible is about to occur. So let's just think about this from a Jewish world for a, for, a, uh, for a moment. I want to explain just a bit more about what a Middle Eastern eye would hear or see or think when they see the number three. Because the, the, the number three uh, kind of has some imagery or some thoughts or ideas kind of tied up with it. So uh, a Jewish person, the number three signals a fulfillment of God's plan. It's the completion of the fulfillment fulfillment of God's uh, plan, um, and it signifies completeness. Now, some of us might think of that idea of um, the, the wholeness or uh, the finished offness. Uh, the Jews talk about um, peace, 
shalom. You know the word shalom? Shalom is the completeness of God. Everything brought into perfect harmony with God. The number three is exactly the same. So when they see number three, it's like, ah, we're about to see a story where the completeness and the wholeness of God gets brought together and something incredible happens because it's made right as it always should be. That's what the number three kind of means to a Jewish reader. So three signals, completeness and stability. Three signifies the fulfillment of God's plans. And some, not all, but some uh, Jewish rabbis would talk about three as this eternal triangle. It's the complete triangle of God. And many Jewish rabbis would say, written into the Jewish faith is this idea of the triangle. Uh, so a couple of examples of this. Are you tracking with me? Okay, I hope so. If you're finding this absolutely dull as dishwater, I do apologize. Uh, you can go home and put on TBN and find something much more inspiring, I'm sure. Um, but in the Jewish uh, world, they have three patriarchs. Uh, Father Abraham... Jacob and uh, Isaac. There we go. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I skipped him out, and then I forgot what he was. Yeah. So there's three uh, patriarchs in the Old Testament, these, these three human characters that were meant to reveal something of the nature of God to humanity. Uh, you have three major Jewish festivals. Uh, so you have the Passover, you have Pentecost, and you have tabernacles or booths, depending on uh, kind of how you want to... Um, what you want to call it. But it's these incredible three festivals that become this triangle of, of celebration uh, of who God is and what God has done. Uh, in the temple in Jerusalem, you have three areas. You have the outer court, the inner court, and the most holy of holies. So there's these three places, the number three, written into the very structure of the temple. And different ones of us could get into the temple because the center was meant to be the most perfect place, the number three. So do you get into one area, two area, or three area? Was it just a symbol of your holiness and a symbol of God's presence and God's completeness? Now, we as Christians, what does the triangle mean for us? It's the Trinity. It's the Father. It's the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's, it's this threeness of God, the perfectness of God, the wholeness of God, this oneness of God. Uh, three persons, one God. You know, it's bad maths. It's good God. Uh, the threeness of God. Uh, so God works in threes. And littered through the New Testament are these nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Watch the three, watch the three, watch the three. Now, friends, got to be really careful. Some threes don't mean anything else other than the number three. Uh, you can then start reading into stuff that really isn't there. Uh, but with it, what I skipped out was tons of examples where uh, Jesus uses the number three. So he talks about the third day or the third watch or the third occurrence. It always, always links towards his resurrection. Jesus says, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. The number three, when Jesus was using it in his teaching, obviously he's referencing the resurrection, but they don't know he's talking about the resurrection yet. So he's also got loaded into what his teaching is, is something else. Uh, when he uses three, he's signifying something that you don't, as a listener, even know what he's talking about yet. So it had to have an extra meaning for the time he was saying it. So Jesus uses this number three to signify God's completeness. Now, so the New Testament... It's written about the events of the New Testament. So it's really easy for the writers to dribble in the number three retrospectively. And you go, yeah, well, of course they were dropping in the number three. They knew what the number three meant because Jesus died and rose again on the third day. But friends, it's also loaded into the Old Testament. I just give, I'm only giving you a couple of examples here. So Exodus 19, 11. 
It says this, at Mount Sinai, God was to come down to give the law on the third day. So loaded into the Old Testament is these nudges to the completeness of God, this shalom of God, this moment where God is going to resurrect and bring all things into proper harmony uh, with him. Uh, Jonah, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, Jonah was in the fish for how many days? Three days. It's loaded into, yeah, we know Jonah is actually Jesus, and he's put in the whale for three days. That Jesus was put in the tomb for three days. But that original reader understood that as well, as this was about God's completeness. And God, the story of Jonah in itself is a prophetic story about the nature and character of God. Remove Jesus for a moment. That story spoke for itself 3,000 years ago without even the knowledge of Jesus. They saw the story of Jonah as a profound story, not just because of what was going to come, but because God was doing something to the people of Nineveh by bringing them back into the right harmony with him. So Jonah stands as a story in itself. Then we have Jesus as well. Ah, then it gets really exciting, doesn't it? Uh, Another example, what about, oh, this is a really good one. It's one of my favorites. Okay, so 1 Kings 17, chapter 21. 1 Kings 17, chapter 21. Uh, Elijah has been helping this family. And this, the young boy that Elijah has been helping the family of has died. And the woman is distraught and she's furious with Elijah that the boy has died. So it says, this is a total child protection issue. If you were deal with child protection, you'll read this story and go, what was that about? That was like, this guy needs DBS checking straight away. So uh, 1 Kings 17, chapter 21. Elijah stretched himself out on the dead boy. How many times? three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. And what happens? He comes to life as a miracle. So woven into the fabric of this incredible book, I don't see it as codes, but see it as keys that that God has kind of placed in this book, little keyholes for you. Every time you see the number three, whoa, hang on, step back. There's a key just been given to me to unlock this story. The writer is telling me something that helps me now understand what's happening. I've got to stop, take stock, what is about to occur because I've just seen the number three that I might miss the profoundness of, but the number three has just helped me put kind of pause on where I'm up to so far. Does that make sense? So littered into the whole of Scripture is this. And I'd love to say, have fun finding them, gang, because they are all over the place. And what's super fun is because the Bible isn't written in English, it's written in Hebrew and Aramaic uh, and Greek. Uh, sometimes what the, right, what the translators of the Bible do is they're trying to make it easy for us. So they try translating distances or weights into pounds and ounces rather than what it actually says in the Greek. And uh, three satas of flour becomes like nine ounces of flour. And we miss the three that is loaded right in there. So sometimes you see like the little A and you go to the bottom and it'll say, it was the third watch of the night. And you go, oh, like you translated it and nearly, I nearly missed something amazing because you translated it to make my life easier, but actually you've, you've not. So friends, right in the heart of this book is this beautiful resurrection of God. God is in the business of practicing resurrection on dead boys practicing resurrection over people in fields as he preaches incredible stories to them, Uh, practicing resurrection on 3,000 
individuals who come to faith in the city of Jerusalem. God is in the business of practicing resurrection. And this story of God is a story of resurrection. The God who takes dead things and breathes it to life. That's the whole of the story of God. If anybody ever says to you, what is Christianity about? It is ultimately this. God is in the business of taking death and bringing life. Sometimes it's in the freedom from slavery. Sometimes it's from death to life when you've fallen through a three-story window. And sometimes it's in the subtle, small ways that God is practicing resurrection in you. The most subtle, beautiful of ways of God leading you into the new fullness and the more that he has for you. But the problem is, we often don't see it. And we take it totally for granted because we miss the three. It's like we're reading the story We miss that this happened at the third watch of the night. So we just read the story. It's a nice story. It's maybe a children's story. But actually, we're missing the profoundness of God because we've missed the key. And hidden in your life, I think there are threes. I think God is in the business of using these beautiful pictures uh, and metaphors, not just in the Bible, but with us. And I want to give you just a couple of examples where I've, I've seen this. Uh, as, as a reality. So um, I've shared this one before, but it's the most fun in that uh, about three and a half years ago, Benedict Atkins uh, was here training to be ordained. And we were just saying, God, what do you have planned for Benedict when he finishes? And we were, re- it was 12 months before Benedict was due to leave. We were praying, Lord, what is the plan here? What are you, you've had him here trained up. We don't want him to just go anywhere. What is the plan, Lord? And Benedict and I were in, um, Denmark, there we go, Julie comes from Denmark, in Denmark, at this conference. And on the last day, they got Benedict and I up at the front, and they all prayed for us. And this guy comes up to us and says, me and my wife have been praying for uh, you and Benedict, but particularly Benedict, I just really feel like the Lord is saying to you uh, that you are to watch the buses. Like, okay, thank you. (laughs) Neither of us are into buses and trains. We're not train spotters in any shape or form. Thank you very much. Took it put it in our back pocket, totally forgot about it. Uh, go on a holiday. We come back off holiday. We're in the prayer shed for staff prayer on Thursday morning, 9 o'clock. If anybody ever wants to join us, 9 o'clock on a Thursday morning in the shed, we we're praying. And Sandra Fennick, a member of our morning congregation, she's totally prophetic, but she has no idea. And we don't tell her because I think she'd over-spiritualize it if she realized she was. She's really, like, she'll often share things that you've got to listen to but she doesn't always realize uh, how profound it is. And she said at the end of the prayer meeting, Chris, as we were praying, I really felt the Lord wanted me to tell you, have you noticed the 323 bus leaves from outside the rectory and goes all the way to Canning Town? I thought, that was interesting. Didn't think anything of it. Took it. We put it in our back pocket. Later that afternoon, we got an email from Father Martin. Reverend Chris, I lead a church in Canning Town. Today is the day that I retire. The church is a congregation of three. It is going to shut, as all Hallows thought about doing something with this church. Uh, if you're interested, email the bishop. And he signed off and left. So I put in the postcode of the church. And the postcode of the church fell like a three-minute walk from the bus stop that this 323 bus ends in Canning Town. And it just felt suddenly there was these three Watch the buses. The buses go from here to Canning Town. And then this email saying, have you thought about planting a church into Canning Town? And we've seen this like constantly with Elena uh, employing here for the cafe. I had like, Lord, I'm going to test you here with like three things. 
And one was the interview, uh, one was the selling of their property, uh, and one was would we be able to get a visa for them. These were the, the like, three, Lord, if you think this is right, Lord, would you speak to us three times profoundly that this is right? And I, the second one happened while we were with you uh, in a coffee shop in, um, in the US. And it just felt like God was going tick, tick, tick. Now, I just want to give you just another example. Uh, Farah, member of my small group. Come here a sec. Um, so Farah has had major issues like I have with, my, with our backs. So just quickly give us a rundown of um, the way God spoke to you through the yeah. three. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> last year, yeah. um, I went through a certain situation, just came over my life, and it was quite difficult for me. But I am glad that I have a church family, and God wanted me to talk to Pastor Chris about it as well. He was quite sensitive to me as well. And then um, I had an MRI done, and I was told a situation about my back. I panicked. Um, and then I needed to actually go on the internet, and I said, Lord, I need to find an osteopath. And the Holy Spirit led me to the spine clinic in my lend. And I thought, okay, number one, the Lord has told me to investigate this place. I said, who do I talk to? So God then led me to number two. Chris and I said Chris have you heard about the spine clinic in Bow and he said I used to go there before and I've been treated a week before and I said okay God's telling me number two that I can trust this place and number three um, a gentleman whose name is Barbara Bryan also had the same situation as my back and he was the third person who gave me confirmation about the place and this Barbara Bryan also knows Chris and so, then we're in small group, yes, and talking then about Akik, who yeah. deals with both of our backs. And then Dina over here says, yes. "Well, I'm also treated there, both by, by uh, Darren, Darren and, and the." Akeek. Yeah, there we go. It just felt the Lord. Like there are times when God just does funny things. He speaks to us and confirms the right direction to go, sometimes by things that don't add up or don't make sense, but you start seeing these threes come together. So my question for you is, you know, God is speaking to us through symbols and signs. He's speaking to us through this incredible book that God has planned each word. Like, I really believe that each word in the Bible is not there by mistake. It is planned that they're there as keys for us to understand. And it's not just history. God is really clever in the way that he writes and the way he weaves things in and the patterns uh, that we start to see in it. And the Bible's full of them. If you want to check the number 40, you want to check the number 10, you want to check the number 12, you start seeing that God speaks differently through different numbers. Each number is like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink to something different, a different clue to what is actually happening in the story. As uh, so you know, when Jesus feeds 5,000, how many baskets of uh, bread are left over? It's 12, because there was, there was the 12 tribes. How many disciples are there? There's 12. Like, these, these numbers are important. They're not mistakes. They're not coincidences. They're woven into the scripture. So God is actually telling the Jewish readers, watch this, notice this. This is how this connects to this. But we miss it because we don't work that way. Uh, we're looking for facts, figures. Does it add up? Did it actually, well, they actually called that at this time. Uh, and actually, the Bible is saying much more. So I want to just give you a couple of thing, questions to think about. Do you see God uh, wanting to speak to you in your life? How does God speak to you? 
Is there a way that you know this is how God confirms or tells me something I need to know? How is that? What does that uh, look like for you? Um, Could it be that you are missing God speaking to you simply because you are not spotting the clues? Are you not spotting the nudge, nudge, wink, winks? Or you're so busy going through the story of your life that you've not noticed there's these little things right under the surface that he's laying down for you to notice and see. So what is God saying to you right under the surface? Uh, We're going to have communion together in a minute and uh, celebrate resurrection. Uh, Before we do that, I'd love you to just turn to the little group around you and um, debrief with each other. Did you like that? Did you not like that? Did you think that was an absolute like twisting of a number that is definitely like reading into stuff? Like, what are you doing? Like, it's dodgy. Keep away. Like, what, what are you thinking? I'm not offended in any shape or form. Um, let me just give you, I learned this not from a Christian, but from uh, a, a Messianic Jew. Uh, I was failing my degree uh, when I was at university because I just didn't know the Old Testament. I didn't know how it all, I'd not been a Christian long enough to know it. And he took me every Wednesday and sat me down and he said, I'm going to teach you the Bible, not from the Western way of reading it, but from the Jewish way of reading it. And he introduced me to this stuff. As soon as you start seeing it in the Psalms, you start seeing it in the Proverbs, you start seeing it all over the place. God just dripping messages that are beautiful. So anyway, debrief, and then we're going to break bread together in about five minutes. Go for it.